You're listening to. And you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. This is um, Friday, November the 30th, 2018. You're listening to the Collabcast, and I'm your host, Marvin Yue. And it's been a while since our last podcast. Uh, we've been really busy at collaboration, gearing up for the new year. And, and that, combined with the holidays, uh, led to us not being able to put out uh, any episodes uh, over the last few weeks. But I did want to put something out for you guys just to say that we're still around. And to give you a heads up that there might be some changes coming up the pike. Uh, 2019 is going to be a... Um, sort of a relaunching year for collaboration. We're trying a lot of new things, and part of that is um, a potential rebrand of this podcast. Right now, we're still discussing on what direction that might look like, but whatever we decide, you'll be the first to know. But I am looking to put up a couple episodes for the month of December, including this one. We're going to be doing some coverage on Aquaman um, later this month, and I'm hoping to get a end-of-year wrap-up episode, too. But this week, I wanted to share a conversation that I had with Brian Hu, the artistic director of the San Diego Asian Film Festival, um, earlier this month at the San Diego Asian Film Festival. Long-time listeners of the Collabcast um, will recognize Brian's voice, um, and he's one of my good friends and one of the smartest guys when it comes to films and Asian-American films in particular. I always enjoy catching up with him and hearing his takes on the new films of the year. And I hope you enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Brian Hu. And I'm here with Brian Hu, the Artistic Director of Pacific Arts Movement here at their flagship event, the San Diego Asian Film Festival, uh, SADAF 2018, uh, here at the Ultra Star in Mission Valley, San Diego. How's it going, Brian? It's good. We're uh, surrounded by sellout screenings right now, which we're very <laughs> excited about. Yeah. And since it's a dab, it's time for, our, I guess it's our annual check-in with um, Brian, who is um, like the person I trust the most <laughs> when it comes to like finding the best films out there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. He's the one that introduced me to, uh, uh, what was that? That um, Heart Attack. The oh, title yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was great. Yeah, film. we have... That studio's new film this year as well, the same actor. Really? Yeah. How have you been? Good. Well, I mean, I've uh, started teaching oh, wow. full-time at San Diego State. Nice. Congratulations. Um, so, but I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I can still keep a foot in the door here at the <laughs> film festival. And it's, it's one of the, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm a, like, I feel so lucky that yeah. this is something I get to do, which is kind of sort through what's out there in Asian American cinema and, and tell people what they should watch. And I always love San Diego, um, especially the film festival here, because um, the program your team has come put together have, has been like always outstanding. Thank you. I was just <laughs> talking to a producer um, a few hours ago, and he was telling me how he has screened his film in L.A., and then watching it here is refreshing. Really? People laugh differently. Uh-huh. Um, 
it's kind of more genuinely, well, instinct- we, instinctively. Yeah, because your audience is more like less industry people. There's right. basically no industry people. <laughs> the industry people here are the ones, are the fil- other filmmakers who right. are watching each other's films. So I imagine it's like um, you you didn't get to see any of the early screenings of Crazy Rich Agents, right? No, no. So I got to see like the, my first three viewings was with was with Community. So it was a lot different than the first time I saw it in the theaters with like mm-hmm. regular people. Yeah, it was like it's such a different experience. Right. Yeah. I've only seen it in like a regular movie, the- like at the regular AMC here, and yeah. it's like maybe half Asian in yeah. the audience, which is what our festival is, is too. Our audiences are only about half Asian. Yeah. And yeah, there's something cool about that too. Like we're all coming <laughs> together to watch this, watch Crazy Rich Asians or the films yeah. at our festival. I mean, okay, as someone who's been either covering or working or programming for like I, I imagine most of your life now Asian American, <laughs> oh God, Asian, Asian American right. films yeah <laughs> how has this year been for you like experiencing it right right yeah it's the summer was surreal um, with the success of Crazy Rich Asians and the fact that like that searching happened too <laughs> yeah it's like one of the like the best Hollywood like suspense films of the year yeah that was directed by Asian Americans starring Asian American about a family yeah and it was just tense, and, uh, and I, I wish I would show that to anybody. And then, of course, with Crazy Rich Asians, which I think a lot of us were hoping was going to be good, and it turned out to be rather outstanding. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I first saw it November 2017, uh-huh. so I'd like be, I had to sit on that for like almost half a year. Yeah, <laughs> when everyone else is freaking out, I'm like, everyone just chill. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, you will like this film. It is like it is a boilerplate like rom com, but mm-hmm. it's like done really well right. and, I, and I trust John Chu to, to do that I mean yeah. he's proven that he masters whatever genre he takes on whether it's G.I. Joe or <laughs> the step up 3D films and, yeah. or Justin Bieber documentary so, right. and, he, and he approaches Crazy Visions almost like a classic Hollywood musical and the, yeah. the way that characters the are built and yeah and, and just, I mean, it's got a classic feel to it <laughs> but it's, it's the way it loves its locations and the sense of glamour and yeah. he was the perfect director I think that's what made it he was the perfect director for it, and he he knocked it out of the park. And I think he brought the best out of all of these <laughs> actors. So, from your perspective, what does this mean now in terms of like mm. um, the future? Like, do you see yeah. it as because we've seen representation come up in waves and always like recedes, mm-hmm. right? But this one seems like it's such a big wave that we might be able to actually ride it, you know, using yeah, yeah. surfing metaphors, and that right. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> You're in San Diego, after all. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've been around long enough to, like, like you said, like we get excited about something, and um, the next year we're kind of back to square one. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is what I loved about Crazy Stations is like every time there's a new scene, you're like, oh, there's another incredible <laughs> actor who I had not thought about was in this movie. Yeah. And the next scene, oh, this is somebody else, and or somebody I've never even seen before, somebody who's from the Asian diaspora outside of North America, and it's just the sense that we actually have a lot of talent out there. Yeah. Um, so I think that's different because this movie, it, 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 it kind of, um, it, it exploded the possibilities of, of what kinds of actors there can be, what kind of comedic actors, what kind of um, character actors we have, we've got, um, different kinds of humor. And I think all those point to different possible movies that we can be in. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just, oh, John Cho is a really good actor and therefore I think he can be a leading man <laughs> like where does it feel like with, with Crazy Rejections you see a ton of people some of them are clearly ready to be leading yeah. actors some of them are clearly able to be a great character actor and it was great because there were so many people that the mainstream didn't know about mm-hmm. like you could have easily put 
Daniel Day Kim, John Cho in this movie and be like, of course, because right. they're people everyone knows about, but they were like conspicuously left out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and it's a nice mix of familiar and unfamiliar. Yeah. But also of local and international. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this year's San Diego Asian Film Festival. You have, speaking of, you know, Asian American filmmakers, there were a bunch of like, I don't know if you call, call them like Asian American masters or people like, like, let's say industry veterans who have been making independent films for a long time have made films this year too because you're showing um, H.P. Mendoza's yeah, yeah. Um, Bitter Melon, you're showing um, Patrick Wang's new films. Mm-hmm. Like it's films that get a little lost in the, the Hollywood discussion but are still like very critically acclaimed. Right? Yeah, and I think the fact that you use the word masters is interesting. Like it's, they're left out of the Hollywood portrait mm-hmm. but they're also not part of the like American auteur Mm. scene either like you don't talk about them next to the Duplass brothers or (laughs) Kelly Reichardt or like Wes Anderson and so they're not part of that conversation either so so where is their home right and we want to be able to name them and say like this is an H.P. Mendoza film this is a Yen Tan film and I mean, the only reason I can name them is because I listen to your podcast, I already spoke <laughs> with Alfred Ada saying, and I've talked to you and you've like, you know, introduced me to a lot of like these great, like, um, people that within the Asian American film space, if you say their names, people are instantly in- interested. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's a privilege that like the, the New York guys, like <laughs> the Wes Andersons and Pete, Paul Thomas Andersons, like they, they have that kind of, their name is going to get them a budget into another film. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would give money just as quickly to H.P. Mendoza. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know he, he stands for quality and creativity. And he can make that run. Like, he can stretch that oh, okay. oh, a yeah, long way. <laughs> yeah. And all of these directors, I mean, like, Yen Tan is, when I think about, um, he, he's a director of Pit Stop a few years ago. This year has a film called 1985. Mm. And when I think about, like, micro-budget independent films that you just, you could tell an incredible story and move people to tears and make us look at the world anew with mm. such few resources. I think a Yen. And he's, and he's from Austin. His films are very Texas. Oh, wow. And, and that's another reason I think he's marginalized from the mainstream of Hollywood as well as that kind of very New York and slash Hollywood yeah. independent scene. Um, so, yeah. And, and we, we... We have a lot of talent from the South, right? We do. Yeah. And, and especially if you look at the, the short films. Um, one of the, the best short films of the year uh, at our festival and that's played a lot of the other Asian American film festivals is called June mm. started by Huai Bing Lao yeah won the I guess the, that was the winner of the or the first place um, finalist H- of the HBO APA Visionary yes yeah. and he's he made that as a student film at the University of Texas <laughs> And it's it's incredible. Like he's ready. It's a great for those of you who have HBO Go or any HBO subscription. Go watch this film because it's it shows a story that like you like as a as an Asian person in America you knew mm-hmm. existed, but you'd never you've never seen on the big screen like Asian Americans at during like um 1955 yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um kind of civil rights like a little bit pre-civil rights. Yeah. A little bit before um the Immigration Acts of 1964, so it's this like limbo <laughs> period of what are we doing here? Yeah. And yet it still feels like it still feels so resonant today. Yeah. 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 Lucky for all of you, you guys can watch that for free right now. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so at the South, um, we care a lot about, I think maybe also because we're San Diego, mm-hmm. it's not an imperative for us to show L.A. filmmakers <laughs> or New York filmmakers or San Francisco filmmakers. Right. And part of that is just the unfortunate fact that there aren't that many San Diego filmmakers. Mm. So that local dimension isn't as much of a priority. Mm-hmm. 
and therefore, we spend a lot of time looking for filmmakers in Hawaii, um, in the South, um, just in, in places you wouldn't expect Asian American filmmaking to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because um, a lot of your supporters in San Diego, you, know, you have a very diverse um, membership base mm-hmm. for Pacific Arts Movement. So, um, a lot of them are not only interested in Asian American films, but you're, you're an Asian film festival, so you also show a lot of Asian films. Mm-hmm. And this year was also rich in like great Asian films, too. Um, any, any that you want to like highlight? Um, I mean, stuff from Asia, I can, go, I can go on and on. I don't even know where to begin. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a great year for, I guess you could, like, the, the, the great auteurs <laughs> of, of Asian cinema. Like, Jafar Panahi has a new film. Jasanko has a new film. Um, we're playing those. Um, Koreeda has a new film and Koreeda's new film Shoplifters that won the Cannes Film Festival yeah that, I, I, that was another film I missed when I was at the Toronto International Film Festival something on your, uh, in your lineup that I did see was The Third Wife which is from Vietnam oh yeah and so The Third Wife I think is uh, another category of films directed by Asian Americans mm. that are set in Asia really which is actually the theme of this this season's <laughs> Saturday School wow um, so um so films, for instance, like Bobby Choi's Fiction on the Realities, mm, yeah. a Korean-American director, does, yeah. performer, who's making a film in Korea, and it kind of maps his own career arc. Yeah. And then the film that you mentioned, The Third Wife, directed by Ash Mayfair, she's actually a Vietnamese-American. Oh, wow. Um, and this is sort of based on stories she's heard about her own family. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so why, can't, why, why must Asian-American cinema be bounded by the geographical borders of the United States? That's true. Either? And... Um, yeah, I mean, um, I just watched um, the latest East West Players uh, production of Viet Gone, mm-hmm. which is a play about uh, the playwright's parents who are refugees from Vietnam. And a lot of it, like those stories, like a, a good chunk of it takes place in Vietnam. Right, and it's right. like, those are, those are still part of our, our DNA and our yeah, heritage, yeah. right? And I actually found like just personally, one, one of the, the types of films I'm most in love with are the films from Taiwan. My parents were from Taiwan. Mm-hmm that were being shown in Taiwan right before my parents moved to the United States. Like, oh, wow. This is like the last bit of Taiwan that they probably consumed before <laughs> trying to become American. Right. Because I think they're still like mentally stuck in like 1970s Taiwan. <laughs> and, and so I feel like that's been a part of my life. That's true. Like, like that kind of culture from that period. It's like the cultural like, um, like freeze or like a time capsule. It's like, a time capsule. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but I also like love seeing characters who were probably my parents' age at that time, <laughs> like as teenagers and... We don't because we don't get nostalgia films in the United States. Like like, no one's making Asian American films about the 1960s and or 70s and what it was like to live up to grow up in that time. I mean, there are a couple of them. Yeah. Um, but whereas like white Americans, they get nonstop like nostalgia films. Right. And and so what could, what are we nostalgic about? What are like what are the common st- pop cultural histories that we share? I am still waiting for someone. And I, I may have to make it myself. <laughs> but the um, the. The um, teen drama that takes place, or the teen comedy drama, or the teen the teen comedy or drama that takes place during like the late nineteen nineties ASEAN years, <laughs> with you know, like the spiked hair, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Nautica, right. the, uh, <laughs> the the Honda Civics right. and Preludes and Acura Integras, like cars that don't exist anymore. No, right? well, so the one thing is, those movies are being made in the short film world. Yeah, and that's very exciting, and and maybe that's where like these burgeoning voices are. I just saw yeah on the, one of your short programs called First Generation. Yes. It's all about like about the nineties, yeah. <laughs> and it's about yeah at that, at that time like thinking of 
like teen magazines were really big and, yeah. and how that affects senses of beauty and, <laughs> and where do Asian American faces fit within that. That's, that's what this short is exploring. And, yeah. and, and it's still like just fun to be dropped in the 90s because <laughs> we recognize it. I think that's like, like as our generation starts getting older mm-hmm. and making more stuff, that's going to be... Cause we're still like, we're coming out of the '80s nostalgia and getting into early '90s nostalgia, yeah, yeah. like late late '90s, is just around the corner. I feel like <laughs> right, like '80s nostalgia is so easy, like Soul Searching when that came out. So yeah. like, oh, everybody <laughs> understands that that nostalgia. But yeah. I don't know. I wonder if the, the late '90s um, Spike Tear, Nautica, that, that's very that's very niche to the point where <laughs> like, who's the audience for that? I mean, I, I, we are the audience for that. But yeah. I hope no one is. No one feels like I'm not going to make it because I don't. I don't know what the, who the audience is. I mean, there is a lot of very specific white films that are like you know, like Waspy, yeah, Mid Atlantic, yeah, yeah. or you no, know, yeah. like, or like Seattle, like right. You know, I feel like Asian cult. Like, I mean, it, it, it at least expand span between you know, like Southern California, Northern California, at the very yeah, least, yeah. It's, it's a know. very California thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a car culture as well. Yeah. <laughs> It's around the corner. Someone's making it. I'm sure. Someone's going to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just giving an idea. <laughs> giving people ideas. Make, 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 my, make my 90s dreams come true. Yeah. Um, but also, we, we just want to be seen on screen. Not even just yeah. our current selves, but even our, to kind of validate our own experiences growing up, which for many people could have been fraught with a lot of uncertainty about who am I or like, do I fit in? And yeah. to see that represented, I think is a kind of potentially a healing too, to say, like, wow, maybe, maybe I was cooler than I thought. <laughs> and that's, I think soul searching has that effect. It's sort of like when you watch those kids in Korea, they look like the prom king and the prom queen. That's true. And that's never like Korean Americans are not portrayed on screen in the eighties that way. And this film create, creates like a, a, um, a fake history for us and I don't know I, I love that aspirational it's yes. very aspirational <laughs> um, aspirational history writing yeah yeah people we were cool I mean my high school prom king was the Vietnamese guys so but where did you grow up very much San Gabriel yeah so there yeah. you go <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we yeah maybe we uh, we're lucky speaking of San Gabriel Valley um, you know one of your um, films this weekend is Staycation yeah. which stars Anthony Ma from the city of Arcadia mm-hmm. um, Grace Sook directed by our friend Tanu Chopra um, and this is a film that um, <laughs> was an adventure to watch because I'm friends with the yeah. actors and they yeah, have yeah. a lot of they don't sex. wear a lot of clothes yeah. in this they don't wear <laughs> but I mean it's it's great to see that like we're able to make because this type of film probably like would have been like one of those films that Stays in stays in the idea phase because no one's sure if anyone actually wants to like see that. Mm. But it's it's here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it did resonate because they won the Muse Award at the LA Film yeah. Festival, RIP LA Film Festival. Yeah, RIP. <laughs> um, and this year was like the consciousness or like the um, the the thunder was taken all by like the big like successes mm-hmm. of the summer, like crazy rotations and um, searching, but. You know, um, looking at your lineup, I'm reminded of films that I had seen before in other festivals and really liked, like White Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a that's a film that's very LA, very <laughs> LA. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's very it's so romantic. And, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, another one from Sundance that we're not playing at our film festival because we played it in spring is still one of my favorite Asian American films of the year. It's Mining the Gap. Oh yeah, the documentary, which is very it's available now on Hulu, right? Yes, on Hulu. Yeah. It's very like of that city in Illinois and. Mm. Um, yeah, it just captures youth <laughs> and like how, how we remember the past, but how do we heal? And God, it's, 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 it's as good as American <laughs> cinema gets. 
Yeah. I hope people. I hope people continue to talk about that movie. Yeah, it's great to see a lot of uh, talent just come up and you know, like there's there's so much of it now. Like, and there's right. so many people that are that are not only making films, not only being in films, but also making them too. Right. Yeah. And so, like for me, just because I'm so immersed in this, when Crazy Rich Asians came out, I wasn't that afraid. Yeah. Like if this was bad, I'm like. I, that's fine. I, I have 160 films at our film <laughs> festival coming up, and all of them make me feel great about where we're at. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of us who've worked in this space before and know the talent here, it's more like now you can see what happens when you put resources behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm in the films because like searching wasn't even that expensive, right. but like marketing and yeah, getting yeah, the yeah. word out there. Right. Because that's a lot of these films, like that's all it really needs, mm-hmm. right? Because they're made for like. We're you know, like independent budgets. Like it's not going to take that much to like make that money back. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. So, and then I think all these filmmakers are also st- still learning what it's what it means to market their films. Yeah, like there's they're pros at at putting together an incredible product. Mm. But like, yeah, we we also as a community we also need to cultivate people who know how to do PR, who know how to yeah um, communicate the value of these films. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, for those of you who want to learn more about. Asian American films and what's out there, like, and there's a lot. There is a great podcast called Saturday School <laughs> that Brian um, hosts with uh, our friend Ada Sang. I mean, as you can tell, like, I I could just we could just go on and on talking yeah. about classic Asian American cinema. So Ada and I were just, why don't we just dedicate an entire <laughs> podcast to talking about our favorite classics? And I think it also speaks to the fact that every year our film festival pumps out, or not, we don't pump it out, but like we we give a showcase, or we give a platform to so many Asian American mm-hmm. films. Yeah, but we also know that. These films aren't going to have much of a shelf life. Mm. Um, they will. A lot of them will end up on iTunes, but that's ephemeral too. Yeah. And so, how do we continue the memory of these films so they they continue to exist? Yeah. And so we see Saturday School as I don't know. It's someone needs to do this. It's a certain responsibility we have to these films that we love, to, so and, they don't get forgotten. And it's always great to hear Brian talk about films. Data. I can talk with you about it for for yeah. a long, long time. Um, Want to quickly plug your new season, which is Asians in Asia, which is Asian Americans in Asia. So, <laughs> we, so we're tracking this entire phenomenon of Asian American filmmakers going to Asia to, yeah. to, to shoot films there, or um, Asian Americans making films that are set in Asia. Yeah, which is you know we've seen the e pray loves. This is like like we saw in Crazy Rich Asians. You know, you don't have to be white to be a fish out of water. Right in your in your in, home in, country in Asia. Yeah. yeah, and it's a different kind of fish out of water. Yeah, it's like if the fish look like the fit but <laughs> it's even more uncanny when it doesn't yeah and then we're gonna I'm just gonna spill the beans on this we're gonna end the season with Bruce Lee like the oh, ultimate wow. example of a Asian American going to Asia and blowing up interesting yeah super excited well Brian I know you're busy running this whole thing so I'm not gonna keep you any longer uh, no, thanks, thanks for coming down yeah thanks for chatting with us and um, well, we'll talk to you later alright All right, bye thanks And that was Brian Hu, the artistic director of Pack Arts Movement, the organization behind the San Diego Asian Film Festival, um, recorded at the San Diego Asian Film Festival. I uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation. And on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Collabcast. Um, like I mentioned, um, the next few weeks, we are going to be releasing episodes on a more irregular basis, but we're hoping to launch our new rebranding. Um, early 2019 so about mid to late january you'll be able to see what we've been planning and, and we're very excited to share um the new face of the collab cast with all of you 
Um, the Collabcast, of course, is a program of collaboration in nonprofit organizations supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment, uh, discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the Asian American community. Special thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective for letting us be a part of their group. The Potluck Podcast Collective is a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from all around our community. We have great shows such as They Call Us Bruce, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, uh, Saturday School, which is co-hosted by this week's guest, Brian Hu. And if you're missing Minji Chang's voice on this week's collabcast, fear not. You can listen to her on her lifestyle podcast, first of all, also a part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, you can find all these great shows by going to the website, www.podcastpotluck.com. This week's intro and outro music is Dear Dancer by Collaboration Toronto alum, The Playwrights. Um, check out their music on their Bandcamp page. And yeah, that'll do it. Thanks again for listening to the Collabcast. Hope you all have a great holiday season. Um, stay warm, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. Peace.